Baptist Church. We are really glad you're here. And um, I just want to call your attention to the worship guide. I'm not going to go out of my way to read all these announcements, but a couple things on the very back page. You'll see the Wednesday night suppers. And um, if you'd like to come this Wednesday night, you need to register by tomorrow. Um, that helps us know how many to cook for. So please do that. You can see... Um, how to sign up, and there's a QR code, or you can call the office if you prefer to do it that way. Also, there are several things. Again, I won't read these ladies. You can still buy the tickets for Kelly Mentor. You can see the well minister. But tonight, men, there's a the Sons of Thunder um, chili cook-off event here in this room. And so we invite you to come. It would be really helpful if we knew that you were coming so we can set up for the right tables. But Todd Jones... Um, who's one of Pell City's own and comes to our first service. Um, Todd will be speaking and sharing, baseball player for years. And um, so please come tonight and be a part of that if, if, if you can. And so, and then I think I just dropped my worship guide, but you, you can see the other announcements. Are you ready to worship today? We have a great time of baptism to start the service, but before we do that, why don't we greet one another? If you're a friend of the Vandiver family and would like to be up close, make your way during the welcome time, but stand up and greet one another. Hello. How are you? How you feeling? seated. It is really good to have you here. I'm so glad we're going to be able to baptize. We're going to talk about baptism a little bit in a moment in the sermon, but um, it's good to have all of our children up there with us and, um, and going to be illuminating in just a second, but welcome to y'all, and I'm going to turn it over to Krista Wall. Well, it is with uh, great joy that we get to start with the baptism this morning, and I've got Scott Vandiver here this morning. And you see your family and your friends and your church around you, Scott. And it's, it's just a reminder that, that baptism and the work of God comes through so many people. Uh, Scott is here this morning because of his parents, his grandparents, uh, this church, how God uses all of us to plant seeds, water those seeds. And today we get to see the growth. We get to see a young man come forward and profess his faith in Jesus before all of you. Uh, so thank you for those that serve all throughout the church, from the nursery and the preschool and elementary age and mission friends and, again, parents and grandparents and teachers, everybody uh, who has invested and taught Scott and our kids and our youth and our teens. And so, Scott, 
I ask you, is it your profession of faith that you've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Yes, sir. Well, then it is my joy to baptize you, my brother in Christ, along with your dad and your poppy. We're going to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. Amen. Let's uh, let's let's say a prayer and uh, just thank God. Let's say a prayer and thank God for uh, for this moment and for Scott. Father God, we come before you and we rejoice in the transformation and the new life that you brought about in Scott. And we thank you for his parents, his grandparents, all those that have invested in him and love him and care for him and that you've used to bring him to this point. Thank you for your grace that transforms us and changes us and empowers us to walk with you each day. We lift up Scott to you. We pray for him. We thank you for him. And we pray that you will just use him in powerful ways in your kingdom to see others come to Christ, to care for others, to, to bless others. We thank you for him. We lift him up to you. And I thank you for this church. I thank you for the heart to make disciples, to see people come to Christ, to invest in people in every age and every phase of life, Lord. Thank you for this time. We lift up Scotty to you. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Isn't it good to see multiple generations baptized in the the church and so we're thrilled for that we're glad that you're here and as everyone's hugging and returning to their seats um let me call your attention over to the call to worship got a lot of folks coming in that's good all right this is out of psalm 63 if you can read it out loud with me you ready Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. Let's read that. Come on, read it out loud. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together, and then Josh is going to come and read our scripture. God, thank you for this baptism. Thank you. We hope and pray that we will long for you as we just quoted from the Psalms. Help us, Lord, to worship you today as you deserve to be worshiped. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Our reading today is Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thank you, Josh. Let's continue to worship, church. Let's stand. Let's enjoy the Lord. We're going to start with a good hymn of just victory in Jesus.
last darkness Let's hope that silver bloom There's future grace that's mine to
saw the message this week. Camille came home with no tubes. Um, thank you for your faithful prayers in that. It's just a good reminder to us that God listens to our prayers. He's, he, he answers according to His will and His glory. That's not always our will. We know that. But He does answer us. And so we want to go before Him. Would you just bow your heads and Let's continue to talk to the one who has already won the battle. He's sitting on the throne. He's high and lifted up. Let's come before him and praise him. Father, we lift you up and praise you. You are worthy of praise. All the way through scripture, we see that when we call upon you, you deliver us. You deliver us from our enemies. And you have delivered us from the ultimate enemy of sin and death. Satan himself, we thank you for that. And as we look at the ramifications of that today, as we see how that is carried out in our life in the next couple of weeks, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and you would help us. Help us today, I pray, to understand your scriptures. Speak to our hearts and lead us toward obedience. You know the many needs. We thank you for the way you answer prayer. And we continue to lift up those who are hurting. We continue to lift up those who are sick. We continue to lift up those who are overwhelmed with burdens. God, would you just lighten it today with your spirit? Be with everyone in this room, those who are at home listening. Help us to walk in you today, we pray in Jesus' name. Our scripture this morning is out of the book of Colossians. Obviously, we've been looking at Colossians, but Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to look at just two verses, verses 11 and 12. Um, it all comes from what we saw last week. If you just look in your Bibles before we stand, 
In verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And then in verse 10, which will drive next, the next several passages, he says, and you have been filled in him, the one who is full with all the fullness of deity, you have been filled in him who is the head over all rule and authority. And then we come to our text. So if you're able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading and the preaching of God's word. Two short verses, in him also, in him also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. As I was preaching in the first service this morning, um, of course, we're talking about circumcision, and, and, and I, I was just in my back of my mind thinking about, I was preaching through Ephesians, and, um, and I remember my youngest daughter came home, and, and we were eating lunch, and, and I'd been preaching about the marriage relationship and sexual relations, and she said, Dad. If you, how many times did you say sex today? It was so embarrassing. And, and I thought about that because I'm going to say circumcision a lot. And, uh, and, and I, I didn't sell this in the first service. I didn't think about it. But my friend Ron Whitley was teaching a class one time. And he has a guy in his church who, um, who's very outspoken. He's, he's not... I don't, he's just not all there, but he's, 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 he's productive and he's a part, but he says things he shouldn't say. And, and so Ryan was teaching on a verse like this, and, and this guy said something, and everybody around him started laughing. And Ryan called him by name. He said, did you say something? And, and two or three of the deacons were like, no. <laughs> he said, did you say something? He said, Yeah. I've been circumcised, roll tide. <laughs> that has nothing to do with this text, but that's what I was thinking when I was preaching on this passage today. Um, <laughs> we almost need to pray again, don't we? Uh, you know, from the book of Acts. And Paul's letters but specifically Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, Galatians. We know that there were those who were coming behind Paul and they were teaching that you had to keep the Old Testament law to be saved. And we looked at that some last week and we'll see it more in detail in the next weeks to come. But in specifically, especially in Galatia, they were coming in saying you had to be circumcised to be saved. You see, the Jewish people all did that as, as a part of the, all the male um, children were circumcised on the eighth day as a sign of their covenant. But many of the Gentile nations didn't do that. And they were coming behind saying you had to be. Matter of fact, the, the Jerusalem council in Acts, where Paul and Barnabas come back with, Paul and Barnabas with the reports of what was going on in the Gentile churches. They met with Peter and the other apostles 
And also James, who we just studied, James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, was there. So Paul and Barnabas and Peter and John and other apostles and, and the, the elders of the church in Jerusalem all began to meet because this is what was going on in Acts 15.1. They were saying, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So they were adding works to salvation. And what's interesting is in the council, when they sent the letter back to the church in, in the Gentile church, what they said was nothing about circumcision because it doesn't save. And while we may do it today for health reasons and other things, it is not a necessity for our salvation. And so they dealt with that. But we have to at least look and see that, that what they taught was your faith, you're saved by faith alone. You're saved by grace through faith, faith in Christ, and there's no other way to be saved. And they taught that very plainly. Now, circumcision was an outward sign that goes all the way back to Genesis 17. When Abraham was called by God in 12, he begins to have this relationship with God. And in and, and, and excuse me, Genesis 17, God establishes a covenant with Abraham. Some of you in your Sunday school classes studied this, depending on the literature you're using, and, and they, they had an everlasting covenant between God and Abraham and all of his children that would follow after him. And what we find in Genesis chapter 17, verse 10, at the end of that verse, he says, every male shall be circumcised. And so it was an outward sign of the covenant that God had made with the Jewish people. Now, what's interesting is, even in the Old Testament, circumcision was not to be just a ritual. Yes, it was a physical ritual that every little boy went through it at the age of eight in their culture, but, but it wasn't to be a mere ritual, nor was it merely to be physical. It pointed, like all the other things in the Old Testament, it pointed to something else. It pointed to something that is spiritual, and something that is fulfilled in what Jesus did for us on the cross. I'll give you two examples. Deuteronomy 10, 16. He says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. What a good verse. Be no longer stubborn. Kim's going to write that on the refrigerator for me. Okay? But notice what he says. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart. That's a spiritual thing. And I want to suggest something. It's not something we can do. It's something that has to be done to us by God. There's another verse. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, God gives a promise that is fulfilled in our scripture today. He says, and the Lord your God, notice Yahweh, all caps, the Lord your God, Will God will do this. He will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Now you recognize that. That's, Jesus said the greatest commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what he says here is you can't love God that way unless God does a work in you first. So in order for you to have this take place, that you can love God, God has to do something in your heart. And, 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 and God says that 
It's, it's like the circumcision of your heart. It's where Paul picks up in Romans chapter 2. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But the Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. Notice these words, by the Spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. It's by the Spirit. And so Deuteronomy 30 is something God does. And Paul picks up on that in our text. If you'll notice, he says in verse 11, is a circumcision that is not by human hands. It's, it's, it's not talking about the physical act that boys go through. And then, unfortunately, in some cultures, they even put girls through. It's not that act. It is a spiritual thing. So look at verse 11. In him also. He's picking up where he left off. That the one who was filled with all the fullness of deity. That in him we are filled. In him. He says you're being filled in him. Verse 10. In him you're filled. And so those who are filled in him, he's now going to say, this is what happens in your life. When you're in Christ, you are circumcised in him. You're buried with him. You are raised with him. And as we'll see next week in an incredible passage, you're forgiven in him. Don't miss next week. He's going to talk about what God does with all of our sin. It's incredibly freeing for us. To look at what Paul says. But, but this notice, all he says about being in Christ. Look at the number of times in these short verses he says in him or with him. Look at verse 10. You've been filled in him. Verse 11, and in him you were circumcised. Verse 12, with him in baptism. You were raised with him through faith. He says in, in, in verse 13, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all of our trespasses. Down in verse 15, he triumphs over them in him. And he says down in verse 20, if with Christ you died, he, he picks it up in chapter 3. You see it over and over again that what God does to us with Christ is union. We are placed in Christ as Christ is placed in us. And so let me just give you several points here. First of all, in Christ... In Christ, we have true circumcision. In Christ, we have true circumcision. In him, he says, you also. In him also you, excuse me, let me get the word order right. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. This is important. Without hands. You see, our Presbyterian brothers and sisters say that baptism is a continuation of circumcision. They believe like we do that you have to pray to receive Christ, but the reason they baptize infants is they see that, that, that baptism continues that circumcision, and the circumcision brought you into the covenant. They say that circumcision of a child brings you under the church covenant. It brings you under the church protection. Now, they believe more than that. Please hear me. They believe you must pray to receive Christ, but they do believe baptism is a continuation of circumcision. The Catholic Church teaches something very similar. In order to enter into their denomination, to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you have to be baptized. 
Church of Christ will tell you, if you profess faith in Christ, but you don't get baptized and you die, you go to hell. And so this is the passage that's used by many different people. And I want us to try to understand what he's saying, that baptism is not required for salvation because it's a baptism without hands. And not only that, it's by the circumcision of Christ. And what in the world does that mean? What does he mean when he says that all this happens by the circumcision of Christ? Does that mean that when Jesus as an eight-year-old boy was circumcised, we were saved through that circumcision? No, that can't be what he means. He says too much about the cross to follow. So what does he mean? And I think he explains it more in verses 12 and 13, and we'll see it. But he talks about us being buried with Christ and being raised with Christ. So, so circumcision is something God does in us on the basis of what Jesus did for us. Now get that. Circumcision is something God does in us on the basis of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Abraham and Moses, their circumcision was an outward sign that points to this. Why did God require every male to be circumcised? Because that removal of flesh was a testimony to the fact that God would one day remove the flesh from our life inwardly. That we would be able to die to the old man and live to the new. It's a symbol. A symbol. So all those years and all those babies who went through it, it was a testimony to what Jesus would do. It, Jesus, Jesus died for us. He was buried for us and he rose for us. And God, therefore, has the means through what Jesus did to be able to forgive us because of what Jesus did. It's why Paul could write to a Gentile church. The church in Philippi, we know it as the letter to the Philippians. Philippians 3.3, he says, for we, this is Gentiles, for we are the circumcision." who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Isn't that amazing that a Jewish Pharisee gets saved and says to a Gentile church, you're the circumcision? It's all grace. It's done without hands. So it's not a physical circumcision. It's, it's not a baptism of any kind. So, because if it was baptism, it's done by hands. Chris baptized today, and guess what? He used his hands. If, if we didn't use our hands, you either stay under the water or you come up by yourself. We use our hands to baptize. But he says, this is a circumcision without hands. What happens? What is it? at the text. He says, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Somehow, God moved what Jesus did to put off the body of flesh. He died. He suffered in our place. He was buried. He rose. And therefore, again, let me say it repeat it. God now has the means through faith to be able to work in our heart. In Christ, we have the means to victory 
over sin. Because Jesus died for our sinful nature, we now have the means because he puts to death, he puts off the body of flesh. The false teachers claimed the body was bad. They, they, they taught it so much that, that especially the Apostle John dealt with the agnostic theologians who, who said that, that this body is so bad, it's so evil, that there's no way that Jesus could have become a real human. You saw him, he walked on the earth, but he just looked like a, he's just a phantom. He, he wasn't really a total man. Because they believed the human flesh, just this flesh and blood right here is all evil. That's not what the Bible teaches. He teaches, he teaches us that, that it's not the body, this flesh that we feel here in our skin and bones. It's, it's the flesh that is, that is the sinful nature. That's a different type of flesh. It's, it's a word that Paul uses often to talk about the things that are hostile to God. I keep going back to Romans 8. It seems like everywhere I go, I'll come back to Romans 8. But Romans chapter 8, especially verses 5 through 7, Paul speaks of those who live according to the flesh, and he contrasts them with those who live according to the Spirit. And listen to what he says in verses 6 and 8 through 8. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. That's the kind of flesh we're talking about. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. When we're born with a sinful nature that is passed down to us from Adam, we looked at this last week, when we're born with that sinful nature, we, we sin. We, we're not sinners because we, we, we sin. We sin because we're sinners. There's an old man that we're born into because of the sin nature, and we battle that sin nature. And we fight, and we, we, we can't please God because we're hostile to God until something happens, until, until Jesus moves in. That's why in Romans 6, he tells us that we have to, to be crucified with Christ. In Galatians chapter 2, many of you know verse 20, but listen to verses 19 and 20. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Look at this. I've been crucified with Christ. That's what Paul's talking about in our text when he says that we died with him. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who now lives in me. That means I've been raised with Christ. And the life I now live in the flesh, did you notice that? He was crucified, but he still got this flesh and bone. The life he now lives to the, in the flesh, he lives by faith in the Son of God who loved him, who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what he's talking about. When we're in Christ, the flesh is crucified. The old man is crucified. The body is now free to live in the spirit. You may say, now wait a minute. I hear what you're saying, John, but I'm still battling the flesh. I'm still battling every day, and it's going to be interesting because in chapter 3, Paul's going to say, put to death, therefore, the, the deeds of the body. How can it be? How can we be dead, and how can we still have to fight it? Well, how are we dead? Well, how did Christ die? He was crucified. Crucifixion is not an instantaneous death. 
A person is nailed to the cross, and they suffer sometimes for days, but always for hours. It's not like beheading. It's not like hanging. It's not like fire and or other things. It's an instantaneous thing. No, we, we, we are crucified, and, and you would never look at a person who's been crucified and think of them anything but dead. They may not be dead yet, but they're dead men walking. And we have to understand that when we're crucified with Christ, the old nature has been crucified, but it's still hanging there. It's still battling. It's still trying to take over. And that's why we'll see in chapter 3, we still have to put it to death. We still have to fight it. But listen to me. When you're in Christ, there's now nothing in you that makes you sin. When you were in the flesh, you couldn't help but sin. But now the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and you have power over sin if we act upon it. If we walk in the Spirit. Now, none of us walk in the Spirit perfectly, but we grow in the Spirit. And little by little, we put to death the flesh and, and grow in Him. It's the sin nature that's been crucified, and we have a new King. We have a new Lord. This body that was meant to use, be used for the glory of God is now able to be used for the glory of God because now we've been made new. And the Spirit lives inside of us. In true circumcision, we're enabled to do that. In Christ, we have true circumcision. In Christ, we have victory over sin. And the means of the flesh is put away with. The, the body of flesh is put away with. It's, it's literally, in the Greek, it's stripped away. It's graphic. It's been stripped away, but how? Look at verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism. When Christ died, he opened the door for us to die with him. When Christ rose, he opened the door for us to rise with him. When Christ continued to walk and ascend to the Father, he opens the door for us to walk in his spirit and one day ascend to be with him. If you look at the next phrase, you'll find out that he doesn't leave us dead, as I said, in which, he, in which you were also raised with him. Christ's death is, and Christ's resurrection can be our death and resurrection. Now, how is this possible? How in the world can we come to that? Well, let's look at the text. You remember, it's, it's a baptism that is without hands. Okay? It's not physical. It's something that is spiritual. It's without hands. It's not just a ceremony. It's without hands. It's something that's been put away. This baptism that we saw this morning is a sign. It's a symbol. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant. The everlasting covenant was a covenant God made with Abraham and his children. That's why the New Testament writer goes out of his way to prove that Jesus came from Abraham. Because Abraham's promise went beyond the Jews. It went to the Gentiles. It went to the whole nations. And we're a fulfillment of that. This is a fulfillment as we look at it. Baptism is, is a sign of what Jesus has done in our life. It's, 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 the Bible's very clear about baptism. In the New Testament, it's very clear, and I'll just point out two things. The first thing it's clear about is the order in which we're baptized. It is always in the New Testament, believe and be baptized, repent and be baptized. 
It is never be baptized and then repent. The order is very clear. We have a believer's baptism. And whether you're young, like we just saw the day, or you're older, you must repent and then be baptized. It's, It's always that order. All the way through the New Testament, they believed and then they were baptized. Or they repented and they were baptized. It's believer's baptism. But the second thing I would say to you about about baptism is the word itself means to immerse. It means to go under. That's what the word means. And the reason that we're baptized is as a symbol of what Christ has done in our life. We repent and then we're baptized publicly showing as we go under the water that we've been buried with Christ. Coming out of the water, we publicly show that we've been raised with Christ. And we get out of the water and we walk in newness of life. The baptism doesn't save you. It's what God does inwardly that saves you. The baptism is just an outward sign of that. So we, we, we don't believe baptism saves, but we believe it's an act of obedience. It's act number one for a believer. The Bible just has no paradigm for somebody who places faith in Christ but doesn't get baptized. It's all the way through the scriptures. It's there. That's why we're, that's why we're Baptist. We believe that. We were called early on, we were called the rebaptizers. The Catholics and the Presbyterians, the, those who are led by Calvin and those called us rebaptizers because we believe that being baptized as an infant is not biblical baptism. That baptism is what you see today is you get believe and then you come under the water. So here's how then are you saved? We are in Christ through faith. Through faith. Just notice that. In Christ through faith. If you look at the text, it says to us, He says in verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him. Look at those two words, through faith. Let me just tell you, this is why I'm not Presbyterian. I love Presbyterians. I read many of them. They minister to my heart. I have friends who are Presbyterians. I'm not bad-mouthing them. I'm just Presbyterian because I'm not Presbyterian because he says you're baptized. All this happens through faith. So in other words, you believe and then you're baptized. We're in Christ through faith. Salvation and baptism, all of this is done through faith. So let me just say it. Baptism is not a continuation of Old Testament circumcision. It's a sign. It's a picture of what takes place in our true circumcision. The cutting away of flesh on the inside is then pictured for us outwardly through the baptismal waters. It's without hands. The body of flesh is put away. We're buried with Christ. We're raised with Christ. We're raised through faith, the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Jesus' death, Jesus' burial, Jesus' resurrection makes it possible for us to be saved. Makes it possible God makes it happen. And the means by which God makes it happen is he uses what Christ did and applies it to us 
through faith. He reckons us having died with Christ through faith. And so it's God's power that makes it happen. It's God's power. It's, we're, we're in Christ through faith, and it's God's power that does it. You and I must believe. We must trust in Christ. We must believe that what Jesus did on, the, on his life, coming and living and dying and raising and ascending, was done for us. And when we trust in that as our salvation, God applies that work to us and inwardly circumcises the flesh nails it to the cross, as we'll see next week, and saves us. Please see the glory of this. This is what God does. We were dead in our sin, and God made us alive. Do you see the glory in that? He delivered us from the domain of darkness, and we who have been crucified with Him are now alive in Him. When we come to chapter 3, we'll see it applied. We'll see that we who were raised with Christ should seek the things above. We who are raised with Christ should set our minds on the things above. And he says, he says uh, that we've died and our life is hidden with Christ and God. And then look at chapter 3, verse 4. When Christ, is who is, when Christ who is your life appears. You see that? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Isn't that glorious? When Christ comes, we will appear with him in glory because of what Jesus did inside of us through faith. It's all by faith. It's not by works. It's done by his grace through faith, and God gets all the glory. Because God's the one that convicts us. God's the one who leads us. God's even the one that lets us have faith. And God's even the one that lets us repent. It's all God. And God comes in and he moves in our life. And I can promise you this. When we get to heaven, there will be no one strutting around like a rooster saying, look at me. Look at me. Look what I did. Look at me. Every one of us will say, look at him. Look at him. Look what God did. I'm here because of him. I can't imagine what it'll be like to one day be in heaven and see him walk by and catch a glimpse of the scars. And just say, it's because of that I'm here. That's true now. There should be no one strutting around like a rooster. It should humble us, but it should also fill us with great joy that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. We're going to sing in just a second, but before we do that, I want you to think about what we've talked about today because I've talked about a couple of things very specifically. And one of the things that I want to ask you is, have you ever placed faith in Christ? If I were to ask you today, if we could sit down one-on-one and I'd say, what does it take for you to go to heaven? What would you say? 
if I were to say, have you done that? How, how do you know you're going to go to heaven when you die? Would you talk about your mama's faith? Would you talk about your grandmother's church? Would you talk about your wife or your husband's faith or your child's faith or your parents' faith? Or could you go back to a time in your life when you know that you asked Christ to come into your life and you were born again? I've talked to people, and I wish I had this testimony, that grew up in a Christian home. They lived their entire life in church with Christ, with people. And they say, I can't even remember exactly when I came to Christ. But I just know that Christ is in me and I accepted him. That's okay. Others of you might be like me. You remember the exact time. It was a drastic time. You were older or younger and you were convicted. Have you, do you have that moment in your life where you've placed faith in Christ and what he did for your salvation? You can't earn it. You'll never be good enough to get there. It has to be through him. The main thing is, does the spirit of God live inside of you? Because when he saves us, he lives inside of us. And he enables us to live. The second question I want to have is, have you done what we saw earlier this morning? Have you been baptized? That baptism doesn't save you. But again, the New Testament has no paradigm for somebody who's professed faith in Christ, who doesn't follow through in baptism. I was dunked as a five or six-year-old. I wasn't saved. I got baptized right before my 19th birthday. I prayed to receive Christ, and Christ came into my life, and I was baptized. And I would just ask, do you know Christ, and how's the order? Were you baptized after your salvation? That's very important. The thief on the cross was never baptized and he went to heaven. I'm not talking about your salvation, but I am talking about your obedience. And maybe today this is an obedience issue for you. I've worked with people over the years. We've baptized people in nursing homes. I've baptized people with medical ports that that they had to have covered and bandaged. We've baptized in pools and lakes and creeks. We've done everything we can to help people be obedient to that. And if you've never been baptized, I would just encourage you to think about what God would say you need to do as a public profession of your faith to be baptized. Now let's just say one more time, maybe you've been saved. Maybe you've been baptized. Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you growing? Is your relationship walking with him? Are there things in the way of your life that need to be removed? We're going to talk about it in the next couple weeks, but maybe today there's some repentance that needs to take place. Father, I just pray that you speak to our hearts very clearly. I know there may be those in a room this size who don't know you. And maybe they're trusting in something that's not real. I don't know. Maybe they're trusting in something that's exactly real. It's the moment you saved them, and I thank you for that. But God, I pray that you would help us to 
to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's you who work in us to will and to act according to your purposes. So God, help us to make sure that we know. But also, God, I pray for those who may not have been baptized because they're, they're worried about something, they're afraid of something. I pray that they would be obedient. And for those who have gone through it, I just ask God you'd help us all to grow a little today and walk in your spirit and be more like Jesus. Speak to us now. Tell us what we should do at this moment, this step, as we grow in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing. If God's calling you to do something public, come be here in the front. Oh, 
do this every week, but let me just ask you to do this. Jesus tells a parable about the soils. And he says, a man goes out and sows the seed. And the seed's the word of God. And he says, it lands some on rocky paths, and the birds come and snatch it away. And some it lands on this shallow path, and, and it sprouts up, but then it withers with the sun. And some lands in the area with the thorns, and he says, these are the cares of the world, and it sprouts, but it chokes it out. Some lands on the good soil, and it bears fruit. And I just want to encourage you, because when we, we hear sermons, what Satan wants to do is to get you through these doors and let you forget about what you heard. Let you forget about the sign or the things that you've covenanted to do. So I just want to ask you, if you would, to bow your heads just for a second. And ask the Lord to let the word that you've heard today bear fruit in your life. Whatever that fruit may be, whatever it is that God's calling you to do, just ask him to let it take good soil and bear fruit and not let you forget about the covenant, the conscience, the, the commitment you made today. God, may it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. I want to ask you, just Miss Beverly, come stand with me. I owe her an apology. She was coming last week, and I remembered that, that Kevin and Paula were coming, but I forgot that she was coming, and so I didn't give her a chance. And so she forgave me because she came up this week. This is Beverly Dilges. Dilges. And she's coming from Indiana. Southern Illinois. You know. Illinois, Indiana, it's all the same to us Southerners, right? Well, now, I lived in Indiana for a while. Yeah, she, but she was faithful in that church for years. She's been coming to this church for some time, um, coming in and out, visiting with the Gillisons, and, and she's related with the Gillisons, but she's here now and um, moved here three months ago, and she's coming to join our church. And so if you welcome her, would you say amen? Yeah, yeah just show our appreciation. And... Um, I just remind you that baptism is public. 
She's already been baptized. But you can join our church one or two ways. All of them come through my office. In other words, you come see me. And we sit down and we talk. And I make sure about your salvation. And we talk about salvation. And you have a chance to ask me any questions you want to ask me. I don't grill you. I just ask you questions. And we have a conversation. I, I was nice to you, wasn't I? Yeah. And so you come. And, um, and then after that, if you need to be baptized, we schedule that. If you've already been baptized, then you can either fill this card out and give it to me and not come up front. Some of you are scared to death of standing up front. And I understand that. The public profession is baptism. So you don't have to come up front, but Miss Beverly was not, she's bold enough to do it and it was okay. And I want you to see her well, as I she comes. Okay. That when I accepted Christ, I had to ask my Sunday school teacher to go with me because yeah. I was so shy. Wow. And now I can talk to a fence post. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. See what God will do. Well, I just want you to know that you can join our church in a lot of different ways. And I would just say to you this. Um, I just feel like I need to share this story. I had a lady come see me a year or so ago. It was during the COVID time. And, and she, if you want to sit down real quick, because I'm, yeah. and then we're going to, um, she, um, she was in her 80s. I knew her because she used to live in my neighborhood. And she just had some assurance problems. And, and she was thinking about death and, and she was worried about it. And so we talked. She had prayed to receive Christ. But she had never been baptized. And I knew because of her husband and just the relationship that they had. He was a part of another denomination that she probably wasn't going to join our church. But she needed to be baptized. And she said, I grew up in a Baptist church. But, and so I talked about it, and she, I said, well, you can come up here during the week, bring your family, or come on a Sunday. She goes, I got to go under the water. And I called her by name. I said, you said you grew up in a Baptist church. Of course you go under the water. She said, but you don't understand my, my hair. <laughs> and then she said, and I've got I've to monitor a portal. And I said, well, how do you take a shower? She said, well, I'll cover it. I said, well, I didn't cover it. And we kept talking, and I knew that she was struggling. She wanted to be baptized, but she had this fear. And, and, and so I said, I'll tell you what, you have a pool. Kim and I will come out to your house, and you get your family, and I'll baptize you. Because I knew she wasn't joining our church, but she needed to be baptized. And so we did. We went out there. She had her husband and a couple family members, and right there in the pool, I baptized. Now, I've had preachers tell me the theology of that was wrong. I understand baptism is a church ordinance. But I just want you to know that I want you to be baptized if you've never been. And I'll work with you in any way I can. But this is the way it ought to happen, as we just saw today. You set the example for us today, Scott. And I'm proud of you, buddy. And, and so I want you to know that we like, I'm going to be right over here. If you want to come by and, and see the, um, the water and show you how we do it, I'd be happy to. Guest, I'll be standing here. I'd love to talk to you. But come by and see Miss Beverly and let her know how glad you are she's joined our church and welcome her into our family. And that's it. You're welcome. Men, don't forget about tonight, Sons of Thunder, okay? God bless you. <laughs>